Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 67. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and I am joined by Connor Southard. Uh, we are presented, as always, by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet. We're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we are a meet at midfield production. It is a uh, somewhat subdued uh, episode as uh, just me and Connor this week, uh, and also Michigan beat Nebraska 34-3 to with a final yardage total of 412 to 146, um, zero significant in-game or post-game uh, incidents outside of the realm of a normal football game. Uh, pretty straightforward affair uh, that involved uh, very little actual throwing of the football. So, yeah, this was uh, this was extremely um, – this was just a rope blowout. Uh, <laughs> this um, – there might be some minor annoyances, but man, uh, yeah, just a, a completely dominant effort from a Michigan team that was able to run for uh, basically no fewer than four, but no greater than twelve yards for the entire game, as much as they wanted, and uh, that that that's that's pretty good if you can hang out in that range for literally an entire football game. And along those lines, Connor, uh, what's your big mood, man? So I know that many, many are saying we're hearing more and more that this game was boring, that a lot of Michigan's games this year have been boring. And I understand the sentiment. I was texting some people during this game that this was about as bored as I've ever been watching Michigan football. So you're not alone in this sentiment. But isn't it great to be one of the elite teams in college football? This is what being an elite team looks like. You just destroy most people that you play. And it's really predictable and it's really boring. And you pull your starters before much of the game is over, even though it's a conference opponent. And even when Michigan has been pretty good, you know, as since I've been a serious fan, they've uh, had plenty of times where they've been in dramatic games in the fourth quarter against especially conference opponents that are inferior to them. And under Harbaugh, they've almost always pulled those out. But in this season, um, we the the only com- game that's been competitive in the second half was the Maryland game. Other than I, I, I said like almost Iowa sort of, but like Iowa had a chance to have a chance, as Dan said. So not really. Um, <laughs> I I don't know what we can offense. say. Like we know, yeah, <laughs> we know it's coming. I'm going to go to the game against Illinois. I'll be there in person next Saturday, this coming Saturday, and it's going to be cold. It's going to be a noon kick at least, but it's going to be cold and physical and Michigan should win that game handily because they are better than Illinois, even though Illinois has showed signs of life this year. And then we're going to go to Ohio state and hopefully have a barn burner of a game that we have a very good chance to win. Who knows? But again, this is what eliteness looks like. You know, we're 10 and 0. you won't see that many more 10 and 0 Michigan football teams in your lifetime. I hope that you see many more. I hope we see as many as possible, but it's the first time Jim Harbaugh has done it. It's the first time they've done it in 16 years, which is literally exactly half my lifetime. So savor it. And as boring as this was at times, live in the moment and enjoy being as good as we are. Well put. Um, yeah. Last time Michigan was 10 and 0, I was uh, in the student section as a freshman. Um, so, yeah, this this feels pretty good. Yeah. Um, I managed to find a, a relatively negative big mood <laughs> this you week. You did. Because, I'm impressed, uh, man. <laughs> no, no. I really, uh, I grind, I, I grind for this, for this kind of uh, <laughs> viewpoint just constantly. Uh, I love to be negative. I really enjoy uh, just disliking 80% of the things I see related to work. I think it's great. Um, I love it. And <laughs> along those lines, um, you know, I wish Michigan writers would use maybe like 10% of the energy that they put into the whole Michigan State Tunnel thing to actually evaluate their own goddamn house. Um, I don't feel like I need to elaborate significantly on that, but uh, I think that'd be two and a half tweets. I'm asking for two and a half tweets. Uh, <laughs> that's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... Uh, uh, well, not only is it useless to kind of go into a certain level of depth that has been gone into by writers about uh, what possibly could have caused somebody to be so angry that they'd fight someone other than just like that that happens sometimes. And, you know, you address that. But uh, this whole idea that Michigan State is some like 
out of control rogue football program to the point of criminality or whatever is uh it's a bit much it's it's a bit much but it is very michigan uh to to be doing this <laughs> so i i will admit i because i'm not on twitter i have missed a lot of this i've caught snippets from you um the, the upshot for me is because i'm not on twitter i let this go like 10 days ago <laughs> so i it's progressed in the ways that things progress in online discourse and in the need to put out a steady stream of content and so lingering like a stale fart is uh, yeah there's there's been a (laughs) there's been a you know a whole second act to this discourse and i i again i've seen a little bit of it via via my colleagues here but not most of it and what i will say is like it's a shame because i do think michigan state (laughs) has like some issues to address in like terms of football culture and stuff um if you overstate that and if you frame it in terms of we're so virtuous and they're barbarians, uh, then it, you know, starts to lose not only its factual accuracy, but like its rhetorical force and value. Um, so I don't know what people are saying. I have, I've gotten some inklings. I'm trying to, to make myself too angry with this course coming out of that, uh, series of events in the tunnel. But yeah, I mean, there's a way to talk about bad things done by others that is not about uh making yourself look holier than thou and not about making it about how great you are and i've said repeatedly in other contexts that one of the things i most deeply hate about being a michigan fan is the need to not only be special in a way that michigan football and michigan as an institution like you know demonstrably is special in in certain laudatory ways we can't just be that we have to be the most special at all times and special in this really obtuse, bizarre way that as a lifelong Michigan fan, I often don't fully understand why we're even trying to do it. It's it often rests on a series of misunderstandings about like the other institutions that exist and the other football programs that exist in the country, all of which is to say, calm down everyone. And I would say, take the W because not only do we beat Michigan state badly on the field, I mean, you know, they, this is going to continue to be bad they for their did program. Something we extremely won. embarrassing afterwards. And now like, like for you, like you're, you are a, a, in a fortunate position to not be on Twitter in a meaningful way uh, and not have to do so uh, connected to a job that is connected to uh, Michigan sports. Uh, because uh, yeah, part of what really bothers me about this is like, there are, there are obviously things about, Michigan State's locker room and the way that they're running their football program that they should probably be looking into. But for one, it very much seems like they are. Uh, like, I, I really don't have any significant complaints about how Michigan State has uh, gone about looking into and addressing. I mean, they, they suspended eight players. That is not that is not light. Um, and it, it's been indefinite. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's... Go ahead. And I mean, especially when there are, I mean, first of all, like there were very real serious things done after that game to then lump all of these other things in about things people overheard on the sidelines, some of which was just like they swore a lot. <laughs> like, get the out of here with football it. Players. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> potty mouths. <laughs> which, like, yes, there were worse things in there about like supposedly, again, we're talking about like single source stuff overheard on the sideline. Like there might have been Michigan State like player or coach like figures uh, yelling out for people to get injured, like for them to try to injure players off the sideline, like during the course of the game. But like uh, throwing that stuff in with what happened after the game really takes away from any sort of credibility you have. Um, And also uh, does um, precisely what happened uh, when. I mean, we'll just say it. John U. Bacon tweeted a 25 tweet thread about like things that had been passed along to the Big Ten that were overheard on the sideline or whatever. And uh, um, it's getting mocked, believe it or not, by pretty much everybody outside of the Michigan fan base. Because, yeah, I mean, ridiculous, man. It's just ridiculous. And I've, I've, I was a student of John's. I have worked with John. I, uh, I considered him a friend, like, you know, like I, I, but I just, uh, it really bothers me to see the way that this is getting covered. 
Uh, Look, I, I'll I'll jump in here and say I think it's very fraught for you because you're in this world and have been as a full time professional for a long time. I'm a dabbler in the sort of Michigan media world. Uh, I'm a fringe a fringe element therein, and there are a lot of people that I love truly. I won't name names uh, whose work I really value who participate in the sanctifying of Michigan as an institution and Michigan football to an extent that I find as I said earlier, bizarre and often counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And I put up with it for the most part. Um, I, I will say in this particular case, the two, the two things that are key here is take the dub. You got the dub on the field and you got the dub in terms of there was a very serious response to this from the responsible institutions involved. And also because you have the inherent moral high ground already, because you were not the ones whose team was doing unacceptable things then, you know, take the high road, right? Ha show a little magnanimity. Don't don't try to turn this into like a months-long thing where everything you say is about how great Michigan is and how Michigan State is this barbaric horde, right? Like just show... Yeah, like, if you what, think what do we exactly expect that to accomplish, especially when it's coming from like noted Michigan mouthpiece John Bacon? Like, right, I but, and my <laughs> my point here is like, if we are so great, then be so great. Like show how great we are by being above this. How about that? If, yeah. we are, if we're so classy, especially since Michigan has, uh, I mean, like Michigan hasn't attacked any other uh, opponent in the tunnel recently. But in terms of like athletic departments having their shit together, Michigan's not there and <laughs> hasn't been for a while. Totally. And I'm actually kind of I'm going to separate that a little bit and just make the point that if you see yourselves as a paragon of class, which is a much mocked term in sports, rightly so. But if you see yourselves as a paragon of class then act classy. That's that's all I have to say. Yeah, no, I mean, this is uh, part of a larger frustration. Um, and uh, hey, the Bose statue's still up. Uh, yeah, offense versus uh, Nebraska. We're going to talk about the Nebraska <laughs> game now. It's it's Nebraska. Uh, also, this is boring, man. This is this was boring. Uh, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but uh, yeah, there. I'm, I'm about to read off J.J. McCarthy's stat line, and it is boring. He went eight for 17 for 129 yards, two touchdowns, and a long of 29. Uh, he was sacked twice. One of those was on the offensive line. One of them was McCarthy trying to scramble and make a play. He also had one carry for three yards and a touchdown uh, on a little, a, a nice little designed QB sweep. Um, but as those numbers tell you, he wasn't asked to pass much. He also wasn't really asked to run much. Um, he didn't get a ton of help from his receivers. And I didn't change the first two bullet points from last week in my notes. I just changed the numbers in the stat line um, because this felt like running it back. Uh, you had a couple potential deep passes that went through receivers hands. You had some, you had a couple that, you know, were debatable whether it was more the faults of McCarthy or the receiver uh, you had some decent intermediate stuff, and then you mostly had him handing the ball off. Yeah, I I think last week I said that McCarthy was better than an unimpressive stat line. I'm not going to go that far at this game because there were. It, I mean, what we're all I think the thing we're all thinking is that it is very frustrating that a guy who has as much arm talent as JJ McCarthy does can't hit deep balls. Um, I'm yeah. sure that everyone who's been on Twitter is sick of hearing that. That was the big negative take coming out of this game. But it is frustrating to watch. So I, I the passing game on this team feels like, I think we can all agree, like it's performing a little bit worse than it should, given that we do have talent at receiver, at least in theory. I mean, the receivers, many of them are not having their best season. Um, and we think McCarthy has a lot of talent. I, I'm standing by that. And he clearly shows it when he throws these pretty balls all the time and you know throws off platform, does all the things that we like. The passing game is not what it should be, even though, as Ace pointed out, we're not really asking it to be a lot. I, I think it's still behind where it should be. I will point out it was cold and dark and it was snowing. And as much as we've made fun of Ohio State for complaining about that, that does tend to take some points off your passing numbers. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I know they can play better than this. I It just feels like this is the one part of Michigan's game on either side of the ball that just feels a little bit unpolished, I guess. Yeah, I think both like the good and bad news here is that it would take like really just like one or two deep connections to feel a hell of a lot better about just like the ceiling of this offense. And it's frustrating that they cannot make that happen. Uh, but 
I mean, we've talked so much about their approach to these games. And I mean, this has been a a very efficient offense on a down-to-down basis that is just not hitting, you know, they're, they're one or two explosive plays per game below what you'd want to see considering the approach. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Like we're, if over the course of Big Ten play, which is now seven games, if I'll, I'll say if JJ McCarthy hits three more deep balls interspersed in those games, then the discourse is different, but he just keeps not doing it. And it's quite strange. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and it seems to be now both a combination of him and the receivers. And we'll get into the receivers a bit more later, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a legitimate area of frustration. Um, even if, you know, sample sizes make it very difficult to figure out what's at the root of it or whether it's random or whether it's something to be worried about both, not only for this year, but long term. Um, by the time we figure out the answer to it, uh, JJ McCarthy will have finished his eligibility. That's just kind of how it works. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, like, it's funny because for all the the airspace that like people, very much including us, have dedicated to this, like, this is going to come down to like three events against Ohio State, and that's all that matters, dude. If if McCarthy <laughs> if McCarthy hits like if he hits one deep touchdown against Ohio State and we win that game. Then I, I mean we're way beyond all else is forgiven. He's a hero, so yeah. you know it's all it takes, man. Just have just have a good game the day, uh, the two days after Thanksgiving, and you'll never hear about this again. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, all right, the running backs. Uh, we continue to just have Corn for Heisman leading this section. Uh, Blake Corn, twenty-eight carries, one hundred and sixty-two yards, and a touchdown, despite only having a long carry of twelve yards. That's really hard to do. <laughs> Just like that is that is incredible consistency. And if you watch Blake Corum, it's not exactly a shock that he's able to just carry the pile. The surprise here was that he didn't break one for longer, but you know, uh Michigan uh dropped back to pass nineteen times in this game. So uh there's probably a good reason why Nebraska was sitting on the run. Um Donovan Edwards only carried the ball twice in this game, got dinged up in some totally unclear fashion and is apparently uncertain uh, for Saturday's game against Illinois, which uh, now seems like a much better opportunity to let players heal for Ohio state than it did say a few weeks ago Uh, in Edwards's place. CJ Stokes got eight carries for 68 yards. Uh, Looks just good. Like loved kind of his like one cut uh, burst that he showed and, uh, Ran, ran really well behind the the line, which was good to see as Michigan went through um, a number of backs once uh, Edwards was not an option. Uh, Tavier Dunlap, Isaiah Gash, and Leon Franklin also all toted carries by the end of this game. Uh, but main stories from this game are that Blake Corum is still good and that CJ Stokes really looks like a, a nice number three on a team that just doesn't really need one unless Donovan Edwards is out for a bit. Yeah, Brian from MGO is already making Karan Higdon comparisons for Stokes, which is complimentary because Higdon, while not a world beater, was a good player for Michigan. Yeah. And I can see it. I think he can be that level of back. Uh, he he clearly, what I saw with him in this game is he looks like a guy who, despite being a true freshman, he looks very coached, which is something you often can't really tell with college running backs. But like, the way he was timing his cuts and slowing down and finding gaps. I was like, this guy is behind two really good running backs and Mike Hart is his running backs coach and he is paying attention and doing his best and um, good pickup. Like, I think uh, he was someone that people were a little bit disappointed that Michigan's running game couldn't get, you know, an elite running back recruit. He was only a three star, but I think he's going to be a, a darn, a darn good back for Michigan. So that's good to see. Yeah, I'm not going to question Michigan's running back recruiting until they uh, they miss one. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Yeah. And uh, it, it is funny, though, that a team that has running backs as good as we do, that, that RB4 is a walk-on, that being Isaiah Gash. But again, not going to question it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, especially since that might still just be making a statement to Tavier Dunlap. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, Who knows? Yeah. It's, it's confusing once you get down that low. Uh, among the pass catchers, uh, Ronnie Bell was the uh, the main guy with Luke Schoonmaker sitting out for um, 
uh, an apparent leg injury of some sort that he suffered towards the end of the week prior. So uh, Michigan suddenly a lot more thin at tight end than you would have expected with them coming into the season, but it's because the top two guys are out. Uh, Ronnie Bell uh, had eight targets, four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Should have had two touchdowns, but uh, sort of spiked the football into the ground uh, only for Andrew Anthony to recover it in the end zone. Anthony has our stat line of the week, uh, three targets, zero catches, zero yards, and one touchdown. That's how it shows up in the box score. And uh, yeah, if you didn't watch this game, you're probably a little confused as to how that is that is at all possible, but it's there. Um, the only player other than Ronnie Bell with multiple catches was Colston Loveland, which means Connor gets to take the rest of this section. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have a ton to say other than it, it's pretty, he's kind of in that Mason Graham category. I'm, I'm not going to say he's been as good as Mason Graham, who is like from another planet. But what I mean is just true freshman who looks the part. Like he's already a grown man. He's already an excellent athlete. He looks like an NFL tight end out there as a teenager. And he's good. Um, he's going to be, you know, a potential Mackey Award winner, potential All-American type guy for Michigan as he continues his career. And um I am super excited about that because, as Ace always points out, he's from my home region. He's from Idaho. Um, don't ask him about politics. Don't ask a kid from a small <laughs> town in Idaho about politics, please. That's all I ask. But beyond that, um, all good vibes there. I wanted to note the An- Andrew Anthony Yakety Sacks play, as Ace alluded to, where Ronnie Bell, I don't even know how he fumbled it. I think it was stripped as he was trying to pull his arm outward for to go to the end zone, basically. Like, as he was pulling his arm up, it got hit by DB, but like it was fumbled into the end zone and Anthony grabbed it right, right before it rolled out of the back of the end zone. And thank God for that play, because if we didn't have that one yakety sacks play, this would officially be the most boring Michigan game I'd ever seen. Um, Maybe not quite. Thanks to that hilarious play. Yeah. I think, I think it ekes past some games that uh, happened in the, in the glory days. Um, And we're just, uh, Let's just say this isn't the first coach that has uh, enjoyed games where Michigan did not have to pass. Um, yeah, I will say the difference, though, and I think Brian's been pointing this out, is like, did Lloyd Carr have games where the offense was super conservative and didn't want to pass? Yeah, but Lloyd Carr loved to make that like a 17 to 10 win over a Minnesota team that was like foreign. Oh, it's it's true. They weren't as frequent, <laughs> but every once in a while, I mean, like, Obviously, this would not qualify as boring because it's just too beautiful. But like they beat both Michigan State and Notre Dame by forty-nine to three scores, I believe. If I'm not, uh, oh yeah, I, isn't working awesome these days. I'm going off the top, but uh, they 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 had some absolutely massive blowouts of some teams because those teams were outrageously talented. Um, and awesome yeah, that that sounds <laughs> right. I, I guess I'm just making the point that like, uh, what is interesting about Michigan this year is that like more than any team that. I remember super well. They're just like, they're just no doubting it, so to speak, to borrow from kicker parlance in the second half. And it's just like, this game is completely over two minutes into the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. Even if yeah. it means like playing for the field goal with four minutes left in the first half and all three timeouts. Um, yeah. Which, which uh... was, <laughs> that's Jim Harbaugh doing disrespect. Like he loves to do disrespect to teams. And that's an example of it. <laughs> yeah. Like people are upset about that time management there and i just don't think that's how it would happen against against a real team so i'm not that concerned uh on the offensive line ryan hayes was back in the lineup uh which means somebody had to leave because michigan just cannot have uh five healthy starting offensive linemen that'd be ridiculous so trevor keegan was out for this one after uh exiting last week's game uh Giovanni El Hadi started for Keegan, and considering that uh, Trente Jones got into the game late uh, as the right tackle uh, after Carson Barnhart started the game, I, th- I think there's just a pretty. I mean, it seems obvious that there's a high level of trust in Giovanni El Hadi here to play well at guard, and um, given that. Michigan ran as well as they did, and I didn't notice any obvious negatives of him as a pass blocker. That trust seems pretty well-founded at this point. So um, we did see Barnhart allow in an edge rush sack, uh, but otherwise the offensive line was relatively clean in pass protection, and Blake Corum 
could kind of pick whatever gap he wanted to run behind. So, I mean, once again, like not a not quite a perfect performance out of the line, uh, but uh, something where it seems like no matter what combination they throw out there, they can at least be quite successful on the ground. Yeah, I mean, once again, it's as has been the case many times this year. It's not perfect in the sense that sometimes pass pro didn't quite work out, but in the run game, I mean, they're just annihilating teams. The the only comparison I can really come up with from recent college football is peak Wisconsin um, when they would just havenate teams uh, up and down the field, and we might be better than that actually, because like I, as again, Mgo is pointing out, like. They were just ejecting those really bad, to be fair, but like they were just throwing Nebraska's DTs down the field, <laughs> like five yards off the line of scrimmage constantly. And um, I, that means to me, the only relevant question here is not like the real relevant question to me is what has OSU got on the line these days, especially at DT? I am sure that what they have is better than what Nebraska has. I'm not, I'm not talking shit. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I am, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm sure, of course it's better than Nebraska, but it's just like, that's the question that matters. I mean, that that might be the single most important question in that game is how much better can Ohio State hold up against this merciless uh, run-blocking attack than they did last year? And I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say probably somewhat better because last year was such a beatdown by Michigan in the trenches. But um, that seems to be the last interesting question here because Michigan is the best run-blocking team in the country pretty clearly, I would say. And uh, it just matters who is possibly good enough to slow them down. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Illinois still has a top 10 defense. It's just that their offense is now, I think, ranked uh, somewhere in the 90s on SP+. Uh, and they're pretty stout on the line, and Brett Bielema can coach up a defense. So uh, they'll at least be... It's kind of like, if we wanted a, like, a reasonable test that could be like relatively low on the stress side of things... Uh, getting an Illinois team that just is really having a hard time moving the ball and has to move the ball on the ground, uh, but can play a pretty good level of defense is kind of a nice way for Michigan to prepare for Ohio State. I yeah, I mean, I I buy that. Like, I don't. I'm not trying to do disrespect with a K to Illinois. Oh no, I, yeah. I just I, what I'm saying is this. Like, I do think Michigan has faced some good defenses. Like, I think Penn State and Iowa are good defenses and. Those defenses just got moved up and down the field in the run game. So I'm projecting that to continue happening, even though I suspect Illinois is better than Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we saw this last year. Michigan, uh, um, as long as Ohio State isn't truly elite as a run defense, a lot of this is going to translate. Because uh, the only team that could slow down Michigan last year was Georgia, as it turned out. And Georgia was uh, truly elite, does not really even begin to cover it. Um, historic is the term, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this was just another game where Michigan knew they were going to win. So they didn't really do things like throw the football. And now, now we're sitting here picking apart a handful of plays because they're the only things of note. And that is why, um, we're moving out of the defense first. We are, as always brought to you by home field peril. Use the promo code me to midfield for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. They like literally just dropped a pretty dope Indiana women's basketball shirt because I believe they're in the process of uh, handing it to Tennessee right now. Uh, and they'd be the second straight Big Ten team to do that. And uh, um, that is that is the one, one of the few sports where just in general, when a Big Ten team is doing well, I will say we love to see it. Even when uh, even when it's Indiana basketball, which you would think would make me puke. Um, but no, that's that's just the men's team for right now. And uh, when we get when we get into January and February and March, you know, ask me again about that. Uh, but for now, uh, it's a good shirt for now. Download the points bet app and use the promo code Buckerprov to get 100 percent of your deposit matched up to one thousand dollars in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. And use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLING. All right, on to the defense, which gave up, once again, a 146 yards of offense. Um, now... 
part of the problem with this is not only is Nebraska bad and uh, not only have they already fired their coach and also uh, offensive coordinator Mark Whipple got kind of uh, run into very hard uh, partway through this game, but they were also without uh, starting quarterback Casey Thompson, who as it turns out is the good starting is the good quarterback on the roster (laughs) starting Uh, for a reason folks. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Michigan played Chuba Purdy. Uh, and when Purdy got hurt on a red zone scramble, uh, then they got Logan Smothers. So um, takeaways from this game are going to be kind of minimal on the ground. Uh, up front, uh, Michigan faced 27 non-sack rushes and allowed only 81 yards. Uh, most of that was Chuba Purdy running for 40 yards on four non-sack carries. Uh, 10 of those came on a third and 15, so you can just go ahead and mentally erase that as a play that matters. And what you've got here is a D-line that played extremely well against designed running plays and let Purdy scramble a few times for yardage that, uh, considering it accounts for almost a third of Nebraska's, (laughs) between a third and a quarter of Nebraska's team total, uh, like... That's fine. I'll let, like, uh, it's hard to hold teams to no yards, and if that's how they're doing it, is Tuba Purdy uh, having to create outside the structure of the play? Uh, that's that seems good. Um, you cannot build an offense out of Tuba Purdy running. I'm sorry to ruin anyone in Nebraska who hoped that that would be the case, but it's not. I, how I don't I would do think things. even Tuba Purdy wants that, considering how it ended. Um, yeah. And uh, Michigan had six different defensive linemen who recorded multiple pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. That included four from Mazzy Smith, who uh, I should note is a nose tackle. Um, And uh, we also saw, we mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about Mason Graham being really freaking good. He had a sack, uh, a quarterback hit, and three run stops. Uh, Just looked completely immovable up front. It's wild that that kid is a freshman, and especially when they uh, planted him next to Kenneth Grant, um, who's uh, I like that he really leans into the grown man thing by going by Kenneth (laughs) as opposed to Ken or Kenny. Um, No one's ever looked at him his entire life and said, I'm going to call that guy Kenny. (laughs) They're going to call Mr. Mr. Kenneth Grant, sir, is what you call him. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And Mr. Kenneth Grant, sir, was uh, hard to move up front. And uh, Michigan was pretty good in short yardage. So this is is both a very good defensive line right now and one that uh, has some really, really exciting pieces for the future. Mason Graham is just one of those wild stories to me because he's from SoCal, right? He's in that incredible Catholic league in California. That's probably the best league in the country. Um, And guys from there that are good, the really good ones tend to be five stars who more often than not go to USC or to like Oregon or whatever. Um, The fact that he wasn't a five star and the fact that Michigan got him out of there. I, I mean, what a heist. Uh, USC's defensive line coach must be steamed because he somehow wasn't a five-star. And like, is there a better true freshman defensive tackle in the country? I haven't checked. I highly doubt it because it's a really hard position for freshmen for so many reasons. And he's already really, really good uh, in a really good group of defensive tackles, which feels again, strange to say at Michigan. Um, I I just don't know what happened there. But thank God it happened because otherwise he'd be at USC. Um, I want to just note briefly, teams cannot run the ball on Michigan. No one has run the ball on Michigan all year. Uh, The team that has the best chance to do it, I guess, is next week against Illinois because they do have a good OL and they have had good running backs. Although I'm sad to say poor Chase Brown has been run down a bit, it appears, over the course of the season. Um, But people, teams cannot run on Michigan. And they cannot run on Michigan because we finally started recruiting good DTs and we used to have a defensive coordinator. His whole thing was, you can't run us, but who did not believe in DTs. And now we're better at stopping the run than ever. And that just sort of sums up the deep ironies of the Don Brown era. Um, enough about that. I don't know, man. I mean, we just have really good DT group. That's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Just to finish that note, uh, Chase Brown is quote unquote, tw- trending in the right direction. Uh, for Michigan, according to their uh, press conference on 
Monday afternoon. So uh, that's something to certainly keep an eye on because if Chase Brown isn't playing, then uh, pack it in. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It, you know, it's hard to see Illinois having a easy time competing regardless given the way that offense is structured, but uh, they don't have kind of the heart and soul of their offense, then they're in trouble. Um, all right, on to the linebackers, which uh, once again wasn't really that visible except when they were making plays near the line of scrimmage. Um, and both starting linebackers did that. Uh, Junior Colson had a sack and four run stops. Uh, Michael Barrett, four run stops and two pressures. Uh, both of them only targeted once in coverage. Colson was the only one to give up a first down. Um, so, and then Jimmy Rolter came in and blew up a play late. Um, so, not a whole lot given Nebraska's uh, lack of much on offense, but another data point that these guys aren't messing up plays, which is something given where they started the season. I mean, given that Michigan is forced by injuries and general lack of depth to give meaningful snaps to a true freshman whom I like as a player, but who was being recruited as a safety at one point and was also like a baseball player and that, that being Rolder, like he has to play. This should be a glaring weakness. And we, it was at points in the season and we thought it would be a problem all season long. And the fact that it's not a visible weakness over the last several games of big 10 play is a huge win. And I just hope that continues. Um, you know, I Ohio State is certainly good enough to exploit whatever problems we have there. So got to keep getting better. But um, the arrows are in the right direction. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Michigan got Jamon Green and McCarty Page back from injury in the secondary, although Green was uh, <clears throat> playing behind Will Johnson in this one. That seemed to be easing a couple guys back in. Uh, we flew by this a bit, but I kind of imagine that's what they're doing with Trent Ed Jones. Um but uh, it didn't seem to matter who was out there in the secondary for Michigan, Nebraska. Um, if you include Michigan sacks, uh, had 60 yards on 22 dropbacks, which is really, really bad. Uh, Trey Palmer has one of the most remarkable receiving stat lines I've seen at some time, especially from a receiver who is actually pretty darn good. Uh, he was targeted 10 times, uh, had five catches for 12 yards, and 13 of those yards came after the catch, which you might note is more yards than he had. <laughs> um, and he had a long of eight. So uh, four of those catches went for four yards. Um, yeah, I remember when Michigan was briefly uh, struggling with screen passes. I think it's safe to say they no longer are. <laughs> yeah, uh, at least when Nebraska is running them and they're always throwing them to the same guy, it seems uh, that was... That was an interesting approach um, from Mark Whipple. Uh, meanwhile, uh, DJ Turner was victimized on a 30-yard gain on, uh, I believe that was Nebraska's opening drive, uh, which did not end in a score. Uh, everybody else was locked down the whole way through, and Turner didn't give up anything else of note after that play. Uh, the aforementioned Jamon Green uh, was not targeted in eight coverage snaps, which is uh, very on brand for him. So, I mean, once again, uh, going against Chuba Purdy and Logan Smothers and an offense that tried to build the whole plane out of screens. Um, not a whole lot to take away, but it's, it's good to have uh, Jamon Green and Makari Page back. And hopefully... Uh, I mean, this is another one where it's like, well, there was one hiccup, so we're going to focus on that in uh, a way that is not at all proportional to it, you know, the actual impact it had on the game. I love that Michigan has this ritual now where we miss early deep shots and our fans freak out about that. And then the desperate opponent, which cannot run their normal offense, hits at least one arm punt early in the game. And we freak out about that because we think Chuba Purdy is going to keep hucking it up there successfully or whatever we think is going to happen. And uh, spoiler, the arm punt offense has not actually gotten good <laughs> results for teams. It just it feels really bad when any time an opponent early in the game completes like a 30, 40 yard pass, you feel bad, but it's not efficient over time, especially once the defense knows it's coming. 
Um, it is just the symmetry of it is beautiful, though. Like we miss we miss those passes. Our opponent hits at least one of them in the first quarter. Everybody starts grumbling. It doesn't actually matter to the outcome of the game at all. And any stats associated with it are complete noise. Um, that's the beauty of being a metronomic death machine like Michigan has been. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a fair way of putting it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you have some stats to go along with this because that that's all I have to say about the defense. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, so I mean, quietly, Michigan is number one nationally in total defense uh, at 232.8 yards per game on average. Also number one in rushing defense at 72 yards per game at 2.6 yards per carry. Those are not winning numbers. Um, I will say, spoiler alert, I would suspect that the Ohio State Buckeyes will gain more than 232.8 yards when we play them. If they don't, that's a big problem for Ryan Day. But uh, I'm going to guess they go over that number. Um, but it's just funny because like, I don't think there's really been a lot of talk about like, is Michigan the best defense in the country? And 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 to be clear, given how good Georgia still is, I don't think that we are. But, you know, you could like start, you could make a case. There's an argument to be made. I think the reason, the argument against it is that those are raw counting stats and we haven't played good offenses. So fair enough. Yeah, I, and Michigan's I don't think, also played short games. Yeah, and I don't think, yes, that is also true. I don't think Michigan is the best defense in the country, but they're up there. I mean, pretty clearly. Like, I test... You know, fancy stats. I think we're doing pretty well in the fancy stats, right? Uh, what are we at SP Plus right now? I, I haven't checked recently, but counting stats. I mean, you know, I it's it's just tough to find fault with this defense because yeah, we're playing bad teams, but we're just crushing them. They cannot run their offense against us. They right, can't. You're going to be yeah. so disappointed in Michigan's uh, SP Plus rating on defense. What is is it like twelfth or something? Third. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Absolutely abominable. And um, uh, I- Iowa, by the way, is number one. <laughs> uh, well, which, uh, there's only so much you can uh, opponent adjust before the computer just starts to starts to smoke um, and, and right. catch fire thinking about just let's just say the Big Ten West really defies what football is. It should actually be what is possible. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, Minnesota has the number six defense and illinois has the number four defense um yikes yikes is yeah and and i mean would i trade michigan's defense for iowa's probably yes because i think Iowa's kind of padding their well i mean i don't know man we we paved we we paved iowa's defense pretty badly i mean you could make a case like but Iowa, the computers. Oh, I'm saying I would. They... I would much prefer Michigan's defense. Oh, okay. Sorry, Michigan's I thought you were. Iowa's defense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would. Same, same way. I prefer Michigan. Oh, sorry, because... I, I misunderstood what you were saying then. Yeah, I mean Iowa, like they, they, the computers love them with good reason because they get pick sixes, which is great. Like those are nice to have. But, um, yeah, I mean, point being, like, if if you don't think Michigan's at least one of the five best defenses in the country, I think you're not really watching this team and. Given that we thought defense would take a step back this year, um, they, they probably seem to have taken a step forward overall. Uh, that's pretty great. Yeah, when you do that while losing a defensive coordinator to an NFL team uh, at, in the same role and uh, also two first-round picks um, as Ed Rutgers, one of whom is uh, carving a path to NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year as we speak, uh, pretty good, pretty good. In my opinion, uh, that'll do pig, as they say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on special teams, not much to note other than uh, the running into the kicker flag uh, that happened on a Brad Robbins punt definitely should have been a personal foul. And that was annoying. Um, Jake Moody went two for two and uh, AJ Henning had a decent return on a punt. Um, I am out of special teams things now. Uh, great work, guys. Really capital. There we go. Um, as always, be, be when you you want to say nice things uh, when you when you don't have things to say, and in this case, uh, yeah, a hearty good job to to all the players working working very hard on special teams because uh, it's thankless, and so we thank them. Um, boy, speaking of thankless, uh, Big Ten teams of the week. Let's just, let's just dive into this. Um, it's. Uh, we we have both chosen to focus on the Big Ten West for reasons that are rather obvious, which is uh, the East is very straightforward. Michigan is going to play Ohio State uh, for the Big Ten East championship and a spot in the playoff. That is pretty much just done and dusted at this point. Uh, however, 
um, five teams are technically alive in the Big Ten West. And I want to describe to you the team that, according to SP+, has the best odds of winning the Big Ten West. And I don't want to tell you who they are yet. Uh, but this team is 6-4 and four overall and 4-3 and three in the Big Ten. They have been outscored 194 to 183 in Big Ten games. They rank 47th <laughs> in SP+. And they lost to Wisconsin and Iowa by a combined 32 points. However, they have the best odds of winning because their remaining schedule is hosting Northwestern and traveling to Indiana. And that last bit should tell you who this team is because this is rivalry week. It's the Purdue Boilermakers, folks. Uh, rolling out the big drum baby fear the drum i i it's it's shocking and appalling that purdue according to sp plus has a 44 percent chance of winning the big 10 west but after they knocked off uh one time playoff contender illinois um that lopped a full 50 percent off of illinois big 10 west uh division title odds and added 30 percent to purdue's um and perhaps even more alarmingly, uh, you are about to talk about the team with the second best chance of making the Big Ten championship game out of the West. Well, Ace, I think as uh, sports analysts, it behooves us to admit when we were wrong about someone. And so I'm going to kind of borrow your shtick, and I'm not going to say who I was wrong about until I get to the end here. But Iowa played Wisconsin this week, and they scored 24 points to Wisconsin's 10 on 146 total yards of offense for the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's exactly as many as Nebraska had against Michigan. So yeah, I don't know why Nebraska yeah, didn't sure do better. Is. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's clearly an adequate amount of offense because they did beat Wisconsin by two touchdowns. Wisconsin had 227 yards, so these teams did not combine for 400 yards of offense. <laughs> um, in this game, there were 29 drives, I counted. There were 17 punts. Give it up for the punters, folks. There were four turnovers, and there were two times. Uh, the end of both halves was Iowa running out the clock. Wisconsin passed for five yards in attempt. Iowa passed for 4.1 yards in attempt. But it gets even better because Wisconsin rushed for 1.6 yards per carry, and Iowa rushed for a muscular 1.2 yards per carry, which, in fairness, that is not sack-adjusted. So that is warped by Spencer Petrus losing a total of 41 yards on five quote-unquote runs. Um, but Oof. still... Uh, both of the Iowa white boy corners had picks. Cabrita Jean took his to the house, as is Iowa tradition. So here's where I'm going to give my apology. I think all in all, we can safely say that Brian Ferentz has turned this ship around and deserves to be given credit for that juggernaut of an offense. I mean, 146 yards of offense. That's driving the entire football field almost one and a half times ace. I don't want to hear any more Brian Ferentz hate in this house. I mean, it's it's hard to argue when they score 24 points. And I mean, according to the theory of complementary football, do you really believe that Iowa would have had two interceptions, including a pick six, if their offense didn't let the defense get out on the field to make those plays? Yeah, exactly. Like if you're not, if you're locking your defense on the bench, they can't help you. As simple as that. You got to give them a chance to shine. This is how it's done. Um, that team, Iowa has a 30% chance of winning the Big Ten West. Dude, I, I'm going to I'm gonna break character and say I, I actually think they're going to do it. I think that boy... Kirk oh, if Ferentz, I had to bet on a team right now, it would 100% be <laughs> Iowa because it's the sickest thing that could happen. It's disgusting. Is this year's Iowa team making their second straight Big Ten championship game. Um, <laughs> the two boys, just, the Ferentz boys, are about to do it once again. Uh, like, it's just so gross. Just to finish out... Um, Obviously, from Bill Connolly, the uh, Big Ten West Division odds um, as SP Plus sees it. Uh, we have already covered Purdue at 44% and Iowa at 30%. It then goes Illinois at 14%, Minnesota at 11%, and Wisconsin hanging on to a two-tenths of a percent chance. It involves an incredibly specific uh, set of outcomes. I believe it involves Northwestern winning out. Um it also involves Illinois beating Michigan. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that 0.2% sounds about right. And uh, um, Paul Christ really fumbled the bag. <laughs> he really yeah, fumbled I, the bag. 
just briefly, I the funniest, very plausible outcome is that Iowa ends up winning the Big Ten West because Purdue goes and loses to Indiana. And I, I can see that that outcome barreling down, barreling towards us like a runaway freight train on the Purdue logo. They're gonna go to they're gonna go to Bloomington to get their asses kicked. Is how this is gonna end up. Oh, without a doubt, because they're not beating North. They're not losing to Northwestern. Uh, I mean, we can we can write. I mean, it'd be funny, but we can write that off as like a thing that can reasonably happen. Um, right. But Purdue traveling to Indiana for a rivalry game where they should win in a cakewalk and just absolutely tripping all over themselves to hand a completely undeserved Big Ten divisional title to Iowa. Yeah, no, that sounds perfect. That sounds exactly. And and you know what? Indiana has the secret sauce in that game because as bad as they may be, they're from the Big Ten East, which apparently is like a magical wizard power when you play Big Ten West teams this year. It, so. it really is. Just just ask Illinois uh, about that very Indiana team, in fact. Um, yeah, no, this is going to be uh, a real ride to the finish. I'm not going to say what type of ride or anything, but... Uh, I don't know, just type in like engineering disasters into YouTube and just, just see what comes up. And uh that that that'll that'll be it. Um yeah, you know, think of it, train derailment actually is a, a tremendously appropriate. I was gonna um, say, yeah. <laughs> for this situation. So yeah, we'll we'll go with that. Um God, I, I gotta stop staring at these odds, but that they're just they're looking back at me. Uh it's really it's disturbing. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, also uh, adding to the humor potential is the fact that, to be honest, the Big Ten championship game itself is going to probably be tremendously meaningless for the Big Ten uh, East winner. <laughs> uh, whether it's Michigan or Ohio State, they're basically just going to be playing for playoff seating. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not saying the West is going to win the Big Ten title game because you've all watched the West this year. But could it be a little bit closer than a lot of these regular season games have been? Because you might just catch Michigan or Ohio State looking ahead to a playoff appearance that's already been locked up. Perhaps. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be shocking if if either Michigan or Ohio State rested guys pretty pointedly in that game. Like it wouldn't be the you know, and there'll probably be like a three touchdown spread that probably the will not be attained by the Big Ten East team. So yeah, so we're basically saying it it's still on the table. For, I guess it is technically still on the table. Although this would take uh, a hell of a specific series of events, um, but we could have two Big Ten teams in the playoff and the Big Ten champion in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Dream big, folks. Dream big. Um, I- I'm not going to top that. So we're we're going to close this show, folks. Uh, follow at Bucket Problem and at Me to Midfield. On Twitter, sign up for meetamidfield.com. Uh, we are planning some big things, uh, in particular for the week of the Ohio State game, because obviously that's that's kind of where our site all uh, brings it all together. Um, so please consider signing up for that. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this here free podcast. Use the promo code meetamidfield at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code bucketprob on points bet. Thank you for listening. And have a great week.